Well, happy Easter, beloved. I'm Jonathan Coleman, one of the pastors here at Anderson Hills. It's so good to be with you on this Easter morning. This is our Super Bowl of the church, and Christ is victorious. And so we come and we gather together to worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, victorious over death. And I want to thank you for coming here this morning. I want to just share with you, I hope you feel welcome right here, welcome at Anderson Hills Church. It can be a little scary coming to, to church sometimes because we, 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 we don't know what we're going to expect. And there's sometimes there's those little things in the middle uh, that we don't understand sometimes. Like, for example, we Christians say around here, we've been doing it for 2,000 years. We say, He is risen. And then the response is, He is risen indeed. And a lot of us, good job, you're right on it. And so we have those little things in the church under the insider. But it's the correct response. He is risen. And I know it's a funky way of saying it. But in the original Greek, that tense means that he will always be risen, my friends. Always, eternally risen. It will never end. And so we've been saying it that way, like I said, for 2,000 years. As you can see, I'm very excited about this day. It's not just because of the candy or the springtime, or the chocolate bunny with the ear bitten off, or the, the beautiful uh, peanut butter eggs, Reese's peanut butter eggs. If you want to get me something, there it is right there. But literally, God left heaven. God left heaven, was miraculously born to a virgin Mary, came and lived a perfect life, healed, restored people, showed people the love of God, and then died for our sins on the cross, and then the third day rose from the dead. And we come to proclaim that this day. And I believe it literally happened. I do. It's not just some cute story we make up to tell ourselves when we try to face the problems of the world. It's not just some philosophical concept. I believe that it really happened. And here's the most incredible thing. From the beginning, Christians have staked their entire lives on this reality, their beliefs on this one event that Jesus rose from the dead. And Christianity wouldn't have been the, one of the easiest religions to crush before it took off, but because from the beginning, we said crazy stuff like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless. Our faith is useless. In other words, disprove the resurrection and Christianity is a bunch of baloney. There's nothing else to debate. We don't need to argue about the existence of Jesus, his miracles, or his teachings. But his resurrection substantiates all of that. If he didn't rise from the dead, sell the building, give the money to the poor, and I'll go get a real job. <laughs> I spent a lot of time studying the resurrection because honestly, I'm not interested in selling cute stories, but I want historical evidence, and he gives that to us, the existence of Christ, even more proven than the existence of Julius Caesar <laughs> And never before in the history of the world have people given their lives for a past positive event. So it entered their reality, and they believed it, and I believe it, and I hope you believe it too. 
So it's more than just a historical fact, and it's still changing lives today. But I want to look at and share how Jesus' resurrection changed life for one of the many characters that hung around with Jesus in his story. His name was Peter. He was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, and in fact, he was part of the inner circle of Jesus, disciples who were closest to him. And the Gospel of John says that Peter's original name was Simon, and Jesus renamed him Peter, which means rock. And Jesus would later expound upon this. After Peter boldly proclaimed that Jesus was indeed the Son of God, Peter would be that rock that Jesus said that the, built, the church would be built upon. And it's an incredible promise for Peter and us. When Jesus first called Peter, we, have, we find Peter at a failed night of fishing. He struck out. And that's crazy because Peter was a professional fisherman who had big nets and would cast those nets and haul it in. It was his livelihood. And it seemed ridiculous at the time, but Jesus came to that shoreline and told Peter, hey, go back out and cast your net on the other side of the boat. And Peter's like, are you kidding me? You're a carpenter telling me how to fish? Come on, I've been fishing for years. But the net became full of fish. The miraculous happened, and Jesus blessed them with that catch so much that they could barely haul it in, and the nets were almost broken. And Peter believes as he sees this miracle, he sees his sin and sees himself as a sinful man in the presence of this holy Jesus. And he says, get away from me. But no, Jesus has a different, different plan for Peter and says to Peter, hey, Peter, I'm going to now make you a fisher for people. And so he uses Peter to help change the world. And Jesus invites him to do that. Just that. And as a disciple, Peter has seen it all. He has a front row seat to the miraculous. He's seen the teaching. He's seen the miracles. He passed out food at the feeding of the 5,000. He saw Moses and Elijah at the transfiguration, and he wanted to build houses for them to stay there in that moment. He literally, Peter, walked on water. Peter had been a fisherman, hardworking, blue-collar kind of guy. He was always that man of action, and he wasn't afraid to speak his mind, and he did that often quickly. And often he functioned with all his heart, but only half of his mind. He was that ready-fire-aim type of guy. He would have made a great fullback. He would just punch right through the line with the head down. But he showed up. Jesus showed up several times. In the last few days before the crucifixion, and Jesus was washing the disciples' feet one time, and I spoke about this on Thursday, and he gets to wash Peter's feet, he gets to that point, and Peter's like, you're not going to wash my feet. But Jesus says, unless I wash your feet, you have no part of me. And then Peter's like, wash all of me then, Jesus, <laughs> please do. And he's like, I'm not bathing you, chief, you're really making this awkward, okay? Only your feet need to be clean. And later that night, Jesus asked Peter, James, and John to stay up with him because he's praying in a garden called Gethsemane. And it's most, some of the most ag agonizing moments in Jesus' earthly life. And what does Peter do? He sleeps. When the bad guys show up to arrest uh, Jesus, Peter tries to be the hero. He pulls out a sword, and he takes a swing at the high priest's servant's ear, cuts it off, but Jesus reattaches it and heals it. 
wasn't too accurate with that sword. But Peter is told by Jesus to put that sword away. That's not his type of ministry. And so Peter had that embarrassment. And then there was the big doozy. Let's look at this together. John 13, 36 through 38. Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? And Peter replied, no, you can't go with me now, but you'll follow later. But why can't I come with you now, Lord? He asked, I'm ready to die for you. And Peter, or Jesus answered, die for me? I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times. Deny that you even know me. Can you imagine how painful that must have been for Peter to hear those words? Can you imagine the pain? It's like if you told your significant other that you were going to take them on a dream getaway for their anniversary and they said, no, you actually are going to abandon me and go to a different place on our anniversary. How could you say that? But Jesus was right. It goes with the territory when you're God. You see, Jesus was arrested and Peter followed from a distance. He waited in the courtyard, warming himself made uh, by a fire made of charcoal. Remember that charcoal detail later. A random person asks, Hey, weren't you one of those guys that followed Jesus? And Peter denies it. He says, No, I wasn't. Not me. And then a servant girl comes up to him and says, I'm pretty sure I saw you following Jesus. No way you're confusing me with another person. And then finally someone else says, you were with him. You've got that northern accent to prove it. And Peter swears that he doesn't know him. And what happens? The rooster crows. Jesus looks straight at him. And Peter went away, weeping bitterly because the failure came true. Have you been there? Maybe you were following Jesus for a long time and things were good and your life had such meaning and purpose and you were so in love with the Lord. And some of us have maybe been on those retreats or, or Christian camps where you experience incredible worship. You experience the word of God. There's singing, there's bonding, there's joy, there's love. And maybe you've had that campfire night by the charcoal where you stand up and you share your testimony of what God is calling you to do. And people get up there and they're crying. And I know I've been there and done that on my Christmas retreat saying, I'm never going to sin again. But you're only like 18 years old, man. And the camp counselor stands up and says, wow, he's going to do powerful things for God. And then a couple weeks later, you're back to the old ways, same sins, feeling bad about yourself because of your failure. I'm not knocking all that stuff. Hear me out. My life was changed at a retreat. And I was called into ministry right here in this room. But where, <clears throat> wherever it happened, I bet most of us have made that big commitment to Jesus only to mess up or to backslide or to slide back into self-condemnation and shame and guilt. And the enemy loves to say that to us. Did you really think you could be anything different? Who are you kidding? How can God love someone like you? And you feel like a failure, like Peter. This is where Peter found himself. And let's fast forward a bit. Jesus has risen from the dead. Peter ran to see the empty tomb. He sees the shroud laying there in the tomb. 
And Jesus appears to the disciples. And the angels told the disciples to go back to Galilee to meet Jesus there, especially Peter. And so the disciples returned to Galilee where they had spent most of their time with Jesus. John 21.3, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. You see, the wheel has gone full circle, my friends. He returns to his old occupation. He returns to fishing for fish rather than for people. I read one scholar who, might have, who said that this might be the most hated on fishing trip of all time. And some people have, have taken this to mean that Peter was just abandoning everything, throwing away all that he learned from Jesus Christ. And that's an overreach. It's not surprising, though, that this professional fisherman will go fishing. He's got to eat. His disciples, they have to eat. Unfortunately, they strike out that night. And doesn't it sound familiar to you? This is God lovingly messing with his closest buddies. He's coming after them. He loves them because he wants to restore. Look at this, John 21, 4. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. This is one of my f- coolest things about the post-resurrection Jesus. His body has been restored after some degree after the crucifixion. And sometimes, though, after the resurrection, some people don't recognize him. And I think it was a combination of his Easter glory, but he loved walking with people and they didn't recognize him. It was kind of like a prank. Remember when he met Mary at the tomb and she's crying and he's like, why are you crying? Well, he knows why she's crying. Who are you looking for, he asks. He knows who she's looking for. Regardless, he sure seems to have a good time with it. So Jesus calls out, Fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Hmm. Then he said, throw out your net on the right side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did. They couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. I bet you saw that one coming, didn't you? Peter does something that I hope you all will do today as well. He wants to move closer because he realizes that's the Lord. Then the disciple Jesus loved, who's John, said to Peter, It is the Lord. And when Simon heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work. Aren't you glad they got rid of that fishing tradition? Fishing in your underwear? <laughs> Those dynamics of the fishing trip would be really weird, especially with Uncle Louie, you know. <laughs> but he jumps into the water. He heads toward the shore. And the others stayed in the boat and pulled in the loaded net to the shore. For they were only a hundred yards from the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. This is really intriguing. This is the only time you see Jesus ever cooking. That's really cool. Jesus cooking. Can you imagine the taste of that fish and bread? (laughs) He was really good with food. Just imagine what he can do with water, right? (laughs) Yeah. You know, why is he cooking? Well, there's only one other place, like I said, that mentions the charcoal fire. Remember where it was? It was the place where Peter denied Jesus. 
here in the wake of Peter's greatest failure, Jesus both creates the miracle that he used to call Peter in the scene where he denied him. Jesus is up to something big here, my friends. So Jesus serves them breakfast because you eat with people that you like. And Jesus, he's taking this moment that will change Peter's life forever and restore him. Verse 15, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? What he's referring back to is that moment where Peter promised that he wouldn't deny Jesus even to, the, even to where others would fail. And it's a humbling moment for Peter. Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. And Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus was asked a question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Ouch. Jesus went there. Sometimes people think this is just Jesus being mean, rubbing Peter's face in it. Do you love me, Peter? Well, it didn't look like it a few nights ago, so let's try it again, Peter. Do you love me? That's what... Jesus is not doing that, my friends. You see, we expect God to be harsh with us about our failures. And we got voices of condemnation that comes from our own self-talk in our heads. Maybe it's because we heard something a lot of times growing up where we superimpose that stuff onto God and his authority. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not pretty enough. You're, you're too lazy. You're a loser. You're fat. But that's not what God's voice sounds like he's not yelling at you he's gently inviting you back into relationship no condemnation restoration Jesus knew how Peter had failed him and he wasn't afraid to deal with it and then Jesus asked him to affirm his love for Jesus not once not twice but three times one for each denial triple obliteration of Peter's mistake and each time Jesus responds by calling him to feed his sheep to move it forward to go into a different reality God's not done with you God's not done with Peter. God has so much more to do in your life, my friends, as we move forward into his reality. You see, Jesus is saving Peter from thinking that he's a failure every time he hears the rooster. And that probably was in his nightmares. But Jesus goes deep into Peter's woundedness. It causes pain, but it's pain for a purpose. And the same true is true for you today, my friends. Jesus doesn't want to shame you. Jesus wants to heal you. Jesus is like a battlefield medic. Imagine if you were a soldier who was wounded by a piece of shrapnel that went into your arm from a nearby explosion. When you see a medic, Jesus is not going to wrap that thing up and leave the shrapnel in there. No. That's a recipe for a disaster. She's going to carefully remove that shrapnel. And it's going to hurt temporarily. It's going to be so that you can be healed. And Jesus recreates Peter's most painful moment, not to hurt him, but to heal him. 
and He'll do the same for you. When God moves in your life and calls you to new places of obedience, He'll find those places of pain and He'll say, we have to deal with this. But Jesus will not put His hands on your wounds to hurt you. He'll do it to heal you, my friends. Maybe it's the hurt you felt growing up when your parents did or said stupid stuff. Maybe it's the same uh, condemnation voice that you hear from bad decisions you made. Maybe it's the brokenness from some relationship that has gone south. Whatever it's done, what, whatever it's done, it's hurt you, and that wound has dominated you, and it's limiting your future. But Jesus wants to deal with that stuff today. Salvation is wholeness found in him, and he wants to touch those wounds, not shame you, but to pull that shrapnel out. So don't let your failures of the past determine your future, my friends. And some of you need to have those moments around that, that fire, confessing your stuff to people who love and care about you and asking for forgiveness. Maybe some of you need to process it with a counselor or, or a pastor. Some of you need prayer. and We have prayer partners at the end of the service. Maybe there's a break-free class that we're hosting here in eight days that you can join and see how God can change your life and restore you through that. We have Celebrate Recovery at our Salem campus on Thursday nights. You can sign up today. Let Jesus touch those hurting places, my friends, in your life. You see, the world is full of sheep who need that love of Jesus. And the Lord wants to use people like you and me, to help feed them, to love them, and to share God's grace with them. I know that many of you are hurting, and there's times where I hurt too. I know you've been through some stuff, but today and every day, Christ is calling you to move forward because His grace is sufficient for you. And you don't need to be defined by those wounds. And God has the power to heal those wounds so that you can move forward in his grace. And you're not going to be defined as a victim anymore, but be victorious in him and through him, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he calls you, like Peter, to feed those sheep. Let's pray together. God, you love us. In you there's no condemnation, just redemption. Magnificent, beautiful, glorious redemption. Restoration. And we come to you now, giving our lives to you. Confessing our sins. And knowing that you're faithful and just. And you forgive our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And in the name of Jesus Christ we are forgiven. We give ourselves to you this day. Press your wounds against our wounds so that we can live in that restoration and healing that you so desire to give to us so that we can live and move and have our being with you and that our existence, our new reality would change our lives and the lives of those around us. Lord, we thank you that you are risen. For it has substantiated everything, the totality of your ministry, for now and into our future, we give it to you. 
We pray this in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.